HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because, to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit wholefoodsmarket.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Where does food meet culture and tech? Find out on this episode of Tech Bites. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. Are you grooving to that techno tune? If you're listening to it and tapping your foot, you know that that is the theme song to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And it is such a happy, awesome song. Everybody always kind of taps their feet and bops their head a little bit when that music comes on. And it's really a nice mood setter for the show that I think we're due for a... Shout out to the man who made that song. His name is Uptown Nico. He is a local NYC DJ. He is part of the Jack Inslee full-service radio DJ party posse that plays quite regularly down in Miami and South Beach and is getting ready to pack up to go to Bonnaroo. If you like that little techno tune, check out Uptown Nico. I believe he, you can find him on SoundCloud. Is that right, Jack? That is right. Uptown Nico on SoundCloud. He's great. We love that He's also that a really nice guy. Amazingly nice guy. Almost too nice to be in New York City. And to be a DJ, probably. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> that is the voice of Jack Inslee, our engineer, the station's executive producer, the aforementioned DJ and host of Full Service Radio Party on Thursday nights. That's me. Nice to see you, Jack. Nice to see you, too. I'm going to jump in early. We always okay. start the show like a good meal talking about apps. You got an app for us? For me? Yeah, I do. Um, I am apartment hunting. And oh. as we all know, that is not always the most fun task. Uh, there is, to my surprise, an, an app called PadMapper. And what it does is it kind of aggregates your Craigslist postings, your Zillow postings, your Street Easy, all the different sort of services, it aggregates them all into an interactive map. So you look at the neighborhood you're going to move to, you see the map, there are these little blips on the map, you can put filters, just like any other apartment search service, it's just a really nice aggregator. I did not know that it existed until this week, and it's been super helpful. That's great. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming you're looking for a spot in Brooklyn? Uh, undisclosed location. Okay. Well, I was going to say if there's any real estate moguls out there who have a, have a good tip for you to send it in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sitting next to Jack in the booth is David, who is our 
super lead engineer, studio manager. I haven't quite gotten wrangle on all of his titles yet. I think that's it. Just those two. Just those two? Supreme Overlord, I guess. I don't know. Supreme Overlord. No, no, that's not. No, that, that one is not true. Well, if you have Supreme Overlord, then you need to have a henchman. I guess maybe that might be the intern. That would be young Malcolm, yeah. <laughs> David, do you have an app for us this week that you like? Uh, yeah, I, I don't uh, have too much experience with it, but um, a guy who... So I, I on my off days, uh, help out in this recording studio, and uh, the guy who owns the spot, he is also a musical artist, and he is getting involved with Google Cardboard, uh, which is sort of like an Oculus Lite um, virtual reality type app. Um, he's trying to develop content to go along with his music, and um, he wants to have like this virtual reality experience uh, to go along with it as like a bonus feature uh, with the music. Wow. I got lost right after you said the word Oculus. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's the name of the app again? It's called Cardboard. It's made and, by Google. And what it exactly does it do? So you also have to buy this uh, pair of goggles, basically. Oh. That I think they're about 20 bucks, And you put your phone inside of it and like whatever mirrors or other visual uh, apparatus is inside, uh, magnifies and... Uh, amplifies the image on your screen and is supposed to create this immersive experience. Interesting. So it sounds like it's a kind of cheap version of one of those... Like Oculus, yeah. Yeah. Okay, got it. Interesting. Interesting. And is the app free, even though the glasses are like 20 bucks? I can't... Re- I think it's a couple bucks. Um, okay. Yeah. And okay. it's it's for Android and uh, Apple. Oh, that's democratic. Yeah. Nice. The lady of the hour today is Naz Rihi, who is the founder of This Is Bitten, which is a really interesting agency, conversation, conference, just sort of cultural hub about food, tech, and culture. We're really happy to have her here today. Do you have some apps that you like, that you use regularly, old favorites? Um, thank you for having me. I uh, well, first of all, I just want to be an asshole and say Riahi. Um, oh no, absolutely Riahi, um, perfect. Because then I don't want you know, like later on when we're best friends and you still don't know how to pronounce my name, it'll but be we're awkward. Not, we're not best friends already. <laughs> it was the Riahi thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> so um, apps, I uh, I don't have anything new and shiny to talk about. I'm, like everyone else, obsessed with Snapchat. Um, And I love, you know, that it's so imperfect and kind of ugly. Uh, And it takes so much of the pressure off because uh, all the other social networks are uh, so much about perfection and this this fakeness. Um, So I'm obsessed with that. And then lately I've been uh, creating my own quotes uh, because I have... Like, I don't have enough projects, so I have a new hashtag called At Least Honesty (laughs) on my Instagram page where I write down really stupid shit I say about myself and about my life. Um, And I think I'm the only person who thinks it's amusing, but I'm really going for it. And so I use an app. um, I use a few different apps to create those. What types of apps? Are they they topography apps where you you create, like, the the image or the thing that you can then post that has it or are they apps that help you actually create a sentence or a phrase or no so it's that uh, would be amazing if it was like a cool (laughs) slogan generator no it's actually um so it's two apps one of them is called over um and uh the other one is called quote with a uh, k-w-o-t-e and the quote app is supposed to give you an inspirational quote every day and so i turn it on and immediately without even reading delete the inspirational quote and create my own very inspirational quote and in thinking about coming on this episode I, i was really really nervous um because i have this thing where so this is my quote from this week is um or the one that I just posted, it's, I desperately want everyone's undivided attention at all times while simultaneously hoping no one will actually remember anything I've said because I don't really want to be accountable for it. So you so. just want to live your whole life in Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> you just want a Snapchat life where 
for those that one passing view everybody's completely fixated on you and then they've absolutely forgotten what it was and it's disappeared so they can't find it again but but i want them to remember the feeling of amazingness the whoosh but not the details the messy details okay to anyone who's listening don't remember anything i've said but be really impressed by it and for anyone listening just so they can get in the game right now on snapchat if people want to follow you Yes. So uh, my personal account is Naz Riahi across all socials. So it's N-A-Z-R-I-A-H-I. And um, uh, the brand uh, social handle is This Is Bitten, B-I-T-T-E-N. Perfect. An old favorite. And, you know, Snapchat's really an interesting thing. People, because of the transient nature of it and because it doesn't really have directions and it has this interesting intuitive way that it works which is not intuitive for some people it's also one of the newest ones where i definitely think there's a a break in age in terms of people who love it and find it really interesting and people who don't and actually jack and i have talked about this snapchat over the time of the show and the first time it was mentioned in the app section was when jack was talking about getting snaps from his girlfriend's younger sister. (laughs) (laughs) And we've been actually meaning to do a show on Snapchat. So maybe you'll come back later and we'll do a Snapchat boot camp so that people can figure it out. Yeah. There are lots of great food brands um, using Snapchat in fun ways. And, and I feel like the ones that are really funny on, um, on Snapchat are, are kind of the best ones. The ones who don't take themselves seriously, like Bon Appetit, for example, does a really, really great job. We had Lockhart Steele on from Vox Media and, of course, one of the founders of Eater. And Mm -hmm. he talked about how they went down to Disney World and did a bunch of editorial work down there on the restaurants and food scene at Disney World and Epcot and all those places. And they did a whole Snapchat series while they were down there. Um, it was really interesting and kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, um, and kind of what, to your point about this uh, generational divide of people using Snapchat and yet not using it, I find that more and more um, uh, people on the other side of it, so the older demographic, are on Snapchat. They're not creating their own stories, but they're watching other people's stories because you can see who has watched your story, and there's definitely a lot of that. Well, I think if you're trepidatious about using social media the first move definitely is just to get in there and be voyeuristic and just watch Mm -hmm. what's happening and watch what's going on and I've always used Twitter much more as my personal news feed than more than a platform to expound on my point of view but but you know what else is interesting is that it's it's voyeuristic but with transparency because I feel like Facebook and Instagram are both platforms where a lot of people will look in on your life but you don't know that they're doing it so it's a little bit creepy whereas I'm sure it's only a matter of time until it turns into that LinkedIn thing where it shows every single person who looked at you (laughs) that could get a lot of people including me into trouble for sure especially in the Facebook (laughs) arena especially in the Facebook arena (laughs) So Naz is here because she's the founder of Bitten, which is, as we said at the top of the show, it's kind of has, it has two principal platforms. One is as a creative agency, and the second one is as a conference that's annually held in New York, now with a LA component happening this fall. And the conference is really interesting because it pulls together people from really diverse parts of the food spectrum, everything from business owners to startup founders to tech people to restaurant people, um, policy people, charity people, um, really diverse, talking about sort of the state of the union, I think, in many ways. So we here at Tech Bytes believe that the intersection of food and technology is super interesting <laughs> and really relevant. So we're happy to find like-minded people are people. Tell us what the broad strokes were for the conference in 2016. What are, from your point of view, the big trends, important stories, things that are starting to bubble up? So um, the 2016 conference just happened this last February. It was our second annual conference. And um, 
It was a full day uh, with 20 speakers, which was a little bit ambitious. That's a lot. lot. 20 in one day is amazing. (laughs) So we uh, break it up by having some people speak for about 10 minutes and others for 20. So anywhere between 10 and 20 minutes. And, And that keeps the pace of it going. But it's a lot to absorb. And it's a little bit challenging, obviously, not just logistically, but making it, making sure that our audience is getting as much out of it as possible. When you have that many people, by the end of it, you can get a little bit fatigued. And so the feedback was incredibly positive, and everybody was very, very excited. But I feel like it's my own greediness that I had so many people, because I'm just like, ah, I want to hear this person talk, and I want to hear this person, and I can't stop myself. <laughs> so putting, you know... Uh, sort of a limit on it is a huge challenge, which uh, we're trying to do for the Los Angeles conference. But as far as uh, broad themes, uh, we had such an interesting range of speakers talking about a lot of different things. And I'm sure you and I will get into sort of the inception of Bitten and, and why it's there, which relates to the speakers. But um, a lot of the events that are out there right now are very chef-driven. And that's, of course, incredibly impressive and really, really important but it's not our focus. Uh, while we do have chefs, we want the chefs to sort of talk about their work in the context of technology, innovation, trends, pop culture, uh, whatever it might be outside of just cooking um, a great meal and having a fat, fantastic restaurant. So um, one of the broad themes was definitely vegetables. We had a couple of speakers talk in different ways about vegetables. One was Adam Eskin, who's the founder and CEO of a restaurant chain in New York called Diggin. And actually, they just opened a location in Boston. So what was really interesting about Adam is I had seen him, I had read articles about him about a year and a half before this last bitten where he talked about wanting to make, and a lot of this is a huge topic right now, wanting to make good, healthy food accessible um, and provide it at an accessible price point to a lot of people while uh, maintaining uh, you know, a great relationship with farmers and making sure that they're paid a fair wage and, and using local, locally sourced ingredients as much as possible and so on and so forth. And um, Adam started doing this in, a, in the fast casual space pretty early on with Diggin. Diggin has been around for a really long time. It's had a few different iterations. And so I reached out to him before the first conference to see if he would speak. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to speak at the first conference. So right after, we went and had lunch and we um, or breakfast, and, and we sort of talked about his business and what we were doing. And um, he ended up hiring Bitten as to do some marketing for him as well, and then came on to the second conference and gave a really, really great talk about vegetables and why they're the future of food. And Jose Andres famously says that he thinks um, vegetables are the future of food because they're so much more delicious than meat. I, I saw a clip of him saying... You can chew a piece of steak, uh, and for the first five seconds, it's very flavorful, and then you're stuck chewing something that's very flavorless for you know another 20 or 30 seconds. And vegetables aren't like that at all. So that was one one big big theme. And then we had Ben McKeon, who is the founder of Hungry Root, which delivers um, pre-packaged. He started with spiralized noodles, and now he has a whole line of different foods that are. From created from vegetables, and um, they're a little bit different in terms of a meal delivery service, and he doesn't even consider a Hungry Root a meal delivery service because he considers them a manufacturer because um, it's not he's not sending you grocery items for you to then prepare at home. He's actually sending you something that's pre-prepared, and you just saute it for seven minutes, and you have an amazingly healthy vegan, oftentimes, meal. So for people who don't know what spiralized noodles are, spiralized noodles are when you put a vegetable onto this nifty little gizmo, which I believe is at origin Japanese, and you turn it and it runs over a blade that basically peels off these long circular pieces that look like noodles. (laughs) And you know what's funny is that a lot of people are like, why do you need a service to send you spiralized noodles. Just get a machine. It's so easy. And I sort of partly thought that as well, even though I love what Ben is doing and I love Hungry Root. And so I actually bought that Japanese machine and I was like, I've got this. And I'm a pretty competent cook and anything I tried to spiralize in it would just turn into mush. 
it was not pretty or easy or pleasant in any way, and the cleanup was so messy. So I, I just thought, you know, forget it. I'm a Hungry Root fan for life. Just spiralize my noodles for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny thing. There's a bunch of Instagram accounts also which are about spiralized food and spiralized noodles, and there's cookbooks and everything. It's, and it's definitely become a trend in utilization that I don't think the original creators of that Japanese machine were really thinking about. No, and it was really helped by this whole gluten-free craze and the paleo thing, right? Um, those are two huge diet trends that propelled all of these other incredible trends in food without really intending to. Yeah, the residual effect. Mm -hmm. So vegetables is definitely a topic that people have on the mind for, I would say, at least two or three years now. And it's an interesting subject because people come at it from a lot of different points of view. Jose Andres, from a very specific chef flavor point of view, there's a whole vegetable point of view that has to do with sustainability for the planet and the environment and having less resources required to raise vegetables than to raise meats and other things. There is that whole dietary, social, political, being a vegetarian, vegan, and all the things that that encompasses. Where does technology fit into that vegetable conversation <laughs> in the bitten world? Um... That's a really, really great question, um, and I don't know that I have an amazing answer for you. I think that it's not always about technology. Bitten isn't always about technology. T technology is one part of it. Culture is another part of it. Trends and uh, movements are another part of it. So it's technology also has all of these blurred lines, uh, which... I shouldn't have used that because it reminds me of that horrible song from two years ago. That's anyway. So, oh, the Robin yeah. Thicke, Miley Cyrus, MTV Music Award debacle song. Yes. Yeah. You know more about it than I do. So it's um, a gif, I think, on social media. I think we were all forced to watch it and listen to it over and over again, even when we didn't worst. want to. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so in any case, uh, what's interesting is that so you can think about a company like Hungry Root and uh it's, it's a food startup, and of course there's a lot of technology that goes into that. So technology isn't necessarily a, a cool new app that I'm using, or if you think about cellular ac agriculture, that's definitely te technological and something really, really important and a big movement and trend. But um, one of the things that Ben talked about that was also very interesting is that he has this whole back-end system where he can look at anything anybody does on his website. So he can be really have this amazing in-depth understanding of what his consumer is doing. He can see what links they're clicking on, what they're hovering over, where they leave, what they're interested in, what food they're reordering more um, more times than other foods. And so that's the role that technology plays in a company like that. Does it also play the role in terms of if you're not online or using an app for people to have easy three-click ordering does that kind of take you out of the game for the audience that's interested in these types of things? I often say that having an app in the app store doesn't make you a tech company. It's just what you need to do to be in business and that the app store is almost today's equivalent of the yellow pages. You would never open a business 20 years ago and not be in the phone book or have a telephone. <laughs> If you're a, a new food company that's specifically looking to a specific demographic like the millennials, you need people go right to the app store to make it easy and quick and here it is and three clicks and there you go. Well, uh, my theory about apps and the app store is that, you know, there was this rush for every brand to have an app and this sort of desperation. And I was working at an agency when apps were really coming into, into their own. And so everybody made an app. And 99.9% .9 of those apps didn't do anything, and so they were huge failures. And there were certainly amazing, great, incredible apps, but I think we are also on the cusp of app fatigue. Uh, I don't know about you, but I look at my phone and I have so many apps on there, many of them I'm not using. And so um, a mobile-enhanced website, I think that's actually possibly the next thing, right, where you don't have to open this separate app. So, for example, I have, uh, you know, I have the Yelp app, um, but why can't I use 
like it would be so much easier for me to just to use the Yelp website on my phone. And every time I go to the Yelp website on my phone, it tells me, oh, do you want to open the Yelp app? And I'm just, it's like this whole process, right? So I'm really interested in finding out what the next thing is going to be. And there are always these these sort of like cultural shifts because we get really, really excited about something and then it's we get really sick of it because it's it's everywhere. And so we rebel and we to- go totally the opposite way. We're very much a binge-oriented culture. We just go crazy for someone and have it and have crazy for something and have the song on repeat and eat the same thing every day until you never want to hear it again. <laughs> One thing that we are always crazy about, though, that we never get tired of, is hearing from our sponsors. And we're going to take a little break to hear who is supporting Heritage Radio Network today. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. If you just tuned in and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today, that intersection is a company called Bitten. You can find them at thisisbitten.com and across social media at thisisbitten, B-I-T-T-E-N. We're here today with Nas, the founder of Bitten. And it's an interesting hybrid of a creative marketing firm combined with a platform that produces conferences and conversations. Recently, the 2016 New York City conference concluded, and she is now in the process of planning the fall conference in Los Angeles. This will be your first time doing an event in LA, correct? Yes. That's very exciting. Thank you. This is actually breaking news. I don't think anybody knows about it. So We love breaking news. <laughs> we get breaking news every Exclusive. now and again on the show. We love that. Great. Is there a big difference in planning for a New York audience versus an L.A. audience? Or is the food tech culture conversation space the same coast to coast? I think the conversation is the same and the audience is very similar. Uh, The people who come to Bitten are mostly very, all very interested in food. A lot of them work in food, but not necessarily all of them. They're younger. They're very trendy. They're super interested in culture and technology and trends and so on and so forth. And we're going to have that in both cities or any other city that we go to by virtue of the platform and what we're doing. Um, We love our audience. Um, It is incredibly challenging planning a conference in a city where I don't live. (laughs) I can imagine. It's challenging doing it in the city where you do live. (laughs) Yes, actually, that's very true. And we don't have a team out in L.A., so everything, thankfully, these days can be done over email, uh, but we have had a few visits out there. The main difference is that Bitten is traditionally held in February in New York, and because we're very concerned about the weather in February in New York, we don't invite any out-of-town speakers, or if we do, it's from the tri-state area, very nearby. And um, so going out west sort of opens up the door to a lot of other speakers, a lot of very different speakers that we don't have access to in New York, which is very exciting. What types of topics are you looking to cover in the fall? What's on your wish list, hit list? <laughs> well, we just confirmed uh, Todd Carmichael of Le Colombe. He's the founder and CEO. And I'm the just, coffee company, the coffee company, the amazing coffee company. They are incredible. And I'm I can't tell you how thrilled I am about that. Not only is he an incredibly engaging and passionate speaker, but he has a lot of really strong opinions that he's not afraid to talk about. And they also coincidentally are opening several uh, 
uh, locations in Los Angeles around that time. So it's it's perfect timing for them. Um, so really, really excited about that. Um, and, you know, he, uh, with him, the other thing that I, I get really excited about is I actually started uh, my... My, really my first real job when I was in high school. The first job was at a pet store. Um, but then after that, I went to Starbucks, and I worked at Starbucks for four years. And uh, I think Starbucks is the most fascinating company in so many ways. And Todd um, started his career in coffee at Starbucks as well, and we're both from the Seattle area. So I've never met anybody who worked at Starbucks before. <laughs> I was a barista. I was a shift supervisor when I was wow. in high school. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I mean, I've met the st- people who work at Starbucks on the corporate level or PR people and marketing people and event people, but I don't know that I've ever met somebody who was behind the counter. Yes, I was very fast um, and I loved it. I gained about 20 pounds the four years I worked there because I ate so many pastries, but um, I have a sweet tooth. Uh, but I recently actually wrote an email to Howard Schultz because I, he's a dream speaker of mine. Starbucks is a, such an interesting company because. Very. You know, if you like coffee and you're into the coffee scene, you don't drink Starbucks uh, because it's too mass, right? And a lot of people say the coffee is bitter and it's this and it's that. The whole over-roasted bitter coffee. Yes. Yeah. And um, But what that company has done for coffee in the world is undeniably... Uh, Tremendous! They really put coffee shops. They made coffee shops a thing. That what what is it called? The third space. You have your home, you have your work, and then you have the coffee shop. Yes. They created that. Not only that, they do incredibly innovative marketing. Even though they're a big company, they're not afraid to use new technologies and to try things out very early on. Whereas a lot of other companies are super hesitant and very very worried and only want to do something once everybody else has done it. But then they get upset that they weren't the first to do it. Um, they're also real from. What I understand really, and from my experience, really good to their employees. They're, the pay has always been really great there. They provide health insurance for part-time employees. They help people, their employees go to college and stock plans and so on and so forth. Um, I, I'm actually secretly a spokesperson for Starbucks. <laughs> Not so secretly. You know, this is a broadcast program, so other people can hear you. <laughs> it is a fascinating company, and that that's probably exactly... A great conversation to have, especially West Coast, um, because so much of the coffee culture comes from the West Coast. It, yeah. What types of um, what types of trends do you think it'll be important to cover? What types of news or what types of current events do you think will be well important? One thing that I'm really interested in right now is this whole conversation around genetically modified, which has been going on forever, and I feel like for a really long time genetically modified was seen as this very evil thing, even though there isn't necessarily enough research to show one way or the other, right? I think you can go further back to genetically modified in olden times when farmers were kind of crossing different plants. You know, the wine industry and wine agriculture has a long history of, you know, farmers grafting different types of vines together to try and create something new or if there was a virus you know create a plant that could survive so on a very basic you know single agriculture single farm kind of level people have been manipulating plants and other things like that by cross-pollinating them splicing together and all that so I mean I think of genetic modification sort of as starting way back then mm-hmm. nobody was really upset about it back then but the current genetic modification that we're talking about the laboratory the big agricultural companies that people think is really people get a very uh it's a very um incendiary topic sometimes people tend to have a very visceral reaction to it either for or against Yeah, and I wonder if that has more to do with factory farms and these big uh, conglomerates that have so much power and so are able to dictate how crops are raised as opposed to an individual choice. But uh, we're also in an age of uh, cellular agriculture, and certainly that's genetically modified. If you have 
a product that has the exact same properties of a hamburger, but didn't come from a cow. It really, you know, was created in a lab. What's the, you know, I think the conversation is shifting in a really, really interesting way. We don't know if that's bad and we don't know if it's good, but um, at the end of the day, if it has the same cellular structure, and I'm not a scientist, but it, 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 it makes it harder to vilify it. Um, even though it is very abstract and it is very new and different. Or there's a new company that I'm really interested in right now called Mufri. I think they're spelled M-U-U-F-R-I. And they are making cow's milk without the use of cows. I think that their product starts with yeast and kind of is brewed the same way, maybe not the same way, but sort of to compare uh, the, the same way that beer is brewed. And it's really, really fascinating. It may be a situation where it's not the actual technology, but it's the application of and the utilization of. Um, science has had a long history of those types of things. Even, you know, I mean, we've all watched the movie where it's, you know, nuclear fusion <laughs> is amazing and is this going to save the world and be this fantastic energy source? Or it's something really evil that the Eastern Europeans get a hold of and they're going to blow everybody up. That's a really great analogy. And science is this magical, you know, incredibly amazing thing that is also so scary because so few people, including myself, understand it. But sort of going off of that, another topic we're going to have at Bitten LA is the convergence of uh, sci-fi and food. I think there's a really interesting... That's really fun. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be just a very, very fun talk. Um, but also, it's it's... We're kind of, this is the future of food in so many ways. Um, and let's talk about that from Soylent to exoprotein and so on and so forth. That's really, I, I think, a fun topic. And I, I, I don't know what your plans are specifically, but I can envision a lot of, you know, 50 years ago or 100 years ago, this is what people thought food was going to look like. And there are probably some things that are close to being right on and some probably things that aren't. And then maybe extrapolating what, what does sci-fi think you know food's going to be like in the future now. Most of the sci-fi movies that are running through, like I'm running a montage of food and sci-fi movies <laughs> right now in my head, it's kind of like Snapchat because it shows up and then it's just disappearing. Um, <laughs> you know, things like uh, The Matrix and futuristic things like that, the food is always just some like weird protein gruely thing because there's nothing left. Yes. Or um, the fifth element. It's little pellets that get turned into some imitation of something. Yeah, and I think that that's also really interesting because we both have this very heightened interest in food culturally right now where everyone is Instagramming whatever bowl they had for lunch and wants to go to the hottest new restaurant. And at the same time, we have this growing uh, population of, uh, of people who aren't that into food. And I feel like the fact that so many other people are so into food are making this other group more vocal about how they're not into food. And then you have products like Soylent, which many people don't even quite understand, but but the foodies are just like, oh, how can you not be into food and how can you just live on Soylent? And there, I have a friend, uh, Matt, who recently told me, he's a programmer, and he said, I just don't like eating. It's not a thing that I like to do. And so I drink a lot of Soylent. But Soylent, if you talk to the founder and the team there, is actually not intended to be your sole um, meals for, the, for you know, the, a long period of time, whether it's several days or several weeks. I know that their founder at one point went on a purely Soylent diet for 30 days. Um, is and there a documentary film or like a YouTube thing that <laughs> we can go take a look at it, like the Morgan Spurlock 30-day diet movie? When he ate there McDonald's. should be. I mean, I'm not going to volunteer to be in that because I do enjoy food a little too much. But um, but no, he I meant, did documented he do it. it. He did. did he well, I don't think. It? I'm not sure if he had any videos. I haven't seen them. There might be, but I know he documented it on the company blog and talked about it. This sounds very much to me sort of uh, like another case of the same idea of. Oftentimes, inventions and technology unto themselves are not so bad, but when it becomes polarizing, when the application of them becomes extreme, or when the application of them is perceived as 
uh, you know, sub- sublimating something that we like or something that we think is important or, you know, a part of our culture. It's one of the things that I often like to say about technology is I, I find technology is to food very similar as salt is in cooking. Mm, mm-hmm. You can use a lot of salt to preserve something. Salt is an amazing preservative, and technology has afforded us a way to preserve a lot of things. Audio, video, photos, preserve and share. You need a lot of technology to do that, but that's an amazing piece of it. But you don't want too much of it, because then it'll kind of ruin it. You kind of just want a little bit. You know, like if you're cooking, you'd put a little bit of salt in to make everything like brighter and Mm -hmm. bring out the flavors. But you would cross a tipping point where it was just too much and then it just made it bad. And then you have to go to the other extreme with a lot to then start to preserve things. So I sort of liken tech in our food lives in a similar way. Although, have you seen, and I'm forgetting the name of the company off the top of my head, but there's a prototype of this amazing robot that will cook your meal for you. And I have an amazing robot that cooks my meals for me at home already. <laughs> Is it your husband? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those of us not lucky enough um, to have it yet, this is a non-human robot. Uh, and it's, uh, I, I saw a video of it, and it was, it was really incredible. You know, you, and I feel like it's also technology has the potential to, to make less waste in this space. So, for example, if the robot knows exactly uh, what portions of what ingredients it needs to create what meals, mm-hmm. and perhaps it's then in the back end connected to a grocery delivery service that will package exactly the precise amount of ingredients you need, which would be the 2.0 version of the meal delivery um, uh, startups that are ha- that are going on right now, like Blue Apron and Plated and so on and so forth. We um, did a show last year on the IBM Chef Watson program, mm-hmm. and IBM has a cognitive computer called Watson. It's the one that played Jeopardy. Yes. Um, and it has the ability to learn, and basically they taught it to cook. So... There's a Chef Watson website and a group on Facebook and uh, not exactly an app, but it's an interactive thing that you can use to cook at home. And the fascinating thing about it is you answer a few questions, salty, sweet, spicy, not spicy, what meal it might be, what ethnicity you're interested, what part of the world you're interested in cooking from. And you can plug in two or three ingredients and it will create a recipe it'll draw pieces and bits of information from its database and create a recipe specifically based on those parameters which is very different from most of the recipe databases where it'll search existing recipes Mm -hmm. and then pull up whatever connects and matches so this actually creates recipes and it's really interesting but one of the conversations we had in that episode was imagine if you had a refrigerator or a pantry that you barcoded all your ingredients into, and then when you opened up your fridge and stood there, like many of us do, and wondered what you were going to make for dinner, something like a, a Chef Watson could give you recipes based on the food you have. Yeah, that would be incredible. Again, goes to the whole waste topic, which is a huge topic. Exactly. We actually had... Um, and I've I've been talking to the lead engineer on Chef Watson, um, and he might potentially come out for Bitten LA as well, which would be incredible. It's a great episode. Dr. Steve Abrams from IBM was on, oh, and cool. it's a really fun episode. You I'm, might enjoy it. Yeah, I'm definitely 100% going to go listen to it. Um, but uh, I think that, you know... Um, coming back to the food waste thing which is obviously another really hot topic and we had one person talking about it at the last Bitten conference um, Homa Dashtaki who is the founder of White Mustache Yogurt and she has I been, love that yogurt oh, it's so good. the yogurt's amazing if you're not in the I don't know if they're available nationally I know they're New York very local produced in Brooklyn amazing quality delicious yogurt and also one of the Heritage Radio Network shows is Radio Cherry Bomb, which is the radio version of Cherry Bomb magazine. And I believe last year they had her on. I listened to the episode. It's a really interesting story 
um, how she started making her family's recipe and wound up in Brooklyn because she actually started in L.A. Yeah, her story is amazing. And she's also one of those brave people who is not afraid to name names. She had a lot of challenges when she started in L.A. with the health department there, um, basically making it impossible for her to have her business in Los Angeles, even though she wasn't doing anything wrong and and so just the rules and regulations and she talks about that at bitten the talk is on our youtube page at this is bitten um but she's been packaging her whey and whey is a new ingredient here it's a very toxic ingredient to get rid of and a lot of yogurt companies have gotten into trouble for it i believe that right now uh chobani's solution to the whey was to put it back into the feed for the cows um, and distribute it to various farmers and homa has actually packaged it and created this whole new uh, beverage and ingredient, which nobody and was brining, doing before. They're selling it as a as a brine, also, which is a really smart idea. Totally. And so, uh, so you were asking about trends and things that we're going to talk about. We were lucky enough, and unfortunately, it didn't happen. But the um, this woman named Gina McCarthy, who's the head of the EPA, reached out to us right before the last bitten, and was like, "Well, her team did. She didn't." <laughs> <laughs> got a text from her. <laughs> so she uh, wanted to come and speak at Bitten, and uh, we were thrilled at the possibility of having her. And particularly, she wanted to talk about uh, food waste and, uh, you know, why it's an important uh, topic within the EPA as well. And uh, something came up, as happens with government people, and she wasn't able to come, but maybe we can get her to come out to Bitten LA. That would be great to hear that point of view. Yeah. That would be really interesting to see, you know, what's possible, what they think, what's coming, what's so, impactful, how they measure it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something else that I think is, uh, you know, when we were talking about technology in the kitchen, whether it's Chef Watson or this robot that cooks for you, and you were saying, you know, Chef Watson takes a few key ingredients and then creates a meal. There are obviously a lot of, also a lot of, not obviously, but also a lot of uh, startups that are doing that with flavor, where you'll enter one flavor and they'll tell you the other complementing flavors that go with it. And I think that that's also a very interesting thing, and certainly for someone who's not instinctively a good cook, but is interested in the idea of cooking. But I also wonder if it takes that instinct away a little bit from people who do have it or might have the potential of developing it, where you're just getting the answers and you're not experimenting or playing around. I, one of the interesting things I found about Watson is that it was pulling information from across different types of cuisine and across different cultures. Hmm. So part of your instinct for cooking or what you would try has to do with your frame of reference. So here in New York City, when we think about breakfast, we think about maybe a bagel and cream cheese, think about maybe going to a diner and having some eggs and hash browns and bacon if Watson is pulling breakfast recipe information across a swath of, of international points of view, it might give you a fish taco recipe for breakfast because mm -hmm. that's what breakfast looks like in Mexico. So I could see if you simply followed the like followed it and just were a follower and didn't allow any of your own like instinct or curiosity or trial and error to come through, then you might lose that. But if something like that, if a program like a Chef Watson or a flavor program has you consider fish and rice for breakfast, mm -hmm. then that might be something that you would have never, ever tried. Because for you, your framework for breakfast is something very specific. So I could argue both sides of the coin. But I do think that if the, the initial data pool, I mean, it all comes back to, um, in many of these things, comes back to how good your data pool is, how big it is, how broad it is, how precise it is. And if it's if the pool of data goes beyond what your personal experience is, then I think your opportunity for discovery is pretty strong. Yeah, that's also a very good point. We spend a lot of time talking about tech and food. <laughs> is that what you do? <laughs> it is what we do, and it's what we've done for all the time that we have today. It goes by so fast. It does. Um, I'm always amazed. At the end of each show, I always like to ask my guests for a little piece of advice for our listeners, something that they can maybe take into their lives and, and use. And you are 
a pro at throwing events and having events and bringing people together. If you were, if somebody wanted to plan an event, even if it was a small event like a dinner party at home or at a restaurant or getting a few people together, or maybe they have a small business and they want to have an open house, what's your, what's your top advice, best strategy for having a successful event? <laughs> Don't think too much about it because if you do, you'll never actually go through with it. <laughs> that's, that's what happened with me and Bitten. I think if I had known how hard it was going to be to put on the conference, I never would have done it. But when I started, I thought, oh, it's going to be so easy. All I need is a space, a few speakers, some sponsors, and people will show up. And I was just like, piece of cake, no problem. That sounds, that sounds like it. Yeah. It sounds like you have good logic. It's literally the hardest thing I've ever done. And um, especially for someone who I can't even throw a birthday party. I mean, I get so much anxiety around anyone who's going to come, who's not going to come. It was uh, it was definitely um, weird for me to get into this space. But uh, the other thing I will say is for at least a bigger event, our team is incredible. And our producer, Rubina Shafti, is amazing. And I would not be able to do it without her. So don't worry about it too much. Don't get caught up in the perfection. I see a trend in your life philosophy here. I'm thinking <laughs> you need to write a book or start a blog titled something like I live my life by the tenants of Snapchat. <laughs> just 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 go with it. No, just do you it. Just I think that's it. taken. Just do it. Is that taken? Did you just Have do you it? heard that? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think our version for a while was just start. Just start. Yeah. Just start. That's good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's actually a great piece of advice. Just start. Hashtag just start. Hashtag at least honesty. <laughs> I want to thank Naz Riahi for coming to visit us today at Tech Bytes. If you want to follow her, she is across all social media channels, but I get the sense that her Snapchat is extra special. She is at Nazriahi, N-A-Z-R-I-A-H-I. If you want to get involved in Bitten conversations, either at the conference or maybe if you need a hired gun, thisisbitten.com is the website, and they are across all social media at thisisbitten. If you like this show, come back and see us on Mondays at 1 p.m. If you loved this show... Go to iTunes, subscribe to it, give us an amazing five-star review. And if you can't live without it, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and throw us what you would have spent at Starbucks today. We are a 501c3 charity. We survive based entirely on the love of our members. I'm Jennifer Leutzi. This is Tech Bytes. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.